You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Techie Leadership Show. Today we have Vidar Andersson. He likes to fund tech startups to solve his own problems. He also spreads education on building startups to young founders as an advisor, investor, an organizer of early stage startup support programs, and as a teacher on startup entrepreneurship to students. Besides that, Vidar also helps corporations with innovation and growth through science, plus entrepreneurship through his company, Anderson and Associates. Hello, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> Hello there, great to be here. Saying the pleasure is ours, so you have like a lot of experience. And it would be like really interesting for uh, for us to hear like your perspective on leadership, especially since you're coming like also have a lot of experience with innovation and the mm-hmm. role leadership plays in innovation. But before mm-hmm. we get to that, tell us a little more about yourself. Right. Um, so as many people, I didn't start out to become what I've become. <laughs> um, okay. Early in life, I wanted to uh, be a film director and make films. So I started to study film. And in the middle of the studies, I sort of discovered that uh, university sucks. and uh, It wasn't for me. And um, <laughs> I just had, uh, I was very lucky to um, have that coincide with when the commercial internet hit Europe. So that was the mid 90s. Okay. And since I, I've been involved in the hacker and demo scene for many years and uh, um, knew my ways around computers, um, and I saw people who were, at, at least I thought, were stupider than myself, they were making a lot of money with this internet thing, although I had no idea what it was, um, I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, so I just jumped headfirst uh, into it. I was lucky, got a break at uh, uh, at a small, um, I don't know if you'd call it a startup, but a, a company that was starting up uh, as I was uh, also part of sort of there in the beginning and, and, and when it was starting to grow. Um, so I got an opportunity and made the most out of it and the rest is sort of history. And also because I, I sort of got fed up with working for other people from time to time, I also founded my own startups, my own things um, on and off. There were always some some interesting offers, so I went back sporadically to do other jobs for other people, and then, uh, well, basically, also when I was I was working with with um, interesting customers, so it's great jobs, enormous projects, multi-million dollar projects for governments and big oil and gas publishers, and doing all sorts of stuff so you can imagine, like in the wild wild west of the early web, where everything was possible because nobody could tell you how to do it because you had to invent everything <laughs> yourself. That was pretty great. Uh, sometimes um, I got tired of working with large corporations or governments and then uh, I founded my other stuff uh, myself or did something with friends instead. And uh, one of those things in 2000, uh, 2000 2001 was Plone, <coughs> the system that uh, was quite successful, quite successful still today. Co-founded with um, two people. And um, on and off and on and off until 2010, I was working with uh, um, large corporations. For instance, the last five years before um, 2010, I was the head of digital for the lead agency to T-Mobile internationally, worldwide. So we're doing all the stuff, digital stuff for for T-Mobile internationally and telecom worldwide. Um, And at point of sales, for instance. Now, um, 2010, I had finally had enough. So I just quit being a salary man for good. And then uh, since then I've done my own companies, my own startups. One startup of note was like 2011 it started, I think. Uh, it was a social, one of the first social local mobile apps um, it was called Gauss, Gauss the People Magnet. It worked exactly like described. It was like a people magnet for your pocket. You could just attach mm-hmm. your uh, existing networks. And it was quite freaky because it could then start to recommend people around you that were physically based around you right now that you had something in common with that would be relevant and interesting to you or shared networks or people or interests. And nice. those people didn't even have to be on our platform. It's a bit freaky at the Whoa. time. And that took us <laughs> through a long journey from the front pages of New York Times, CNN, TechCrunch, Numbers Times. And until I, about two and a half years later, I had to, to sort of pull the plug, and that was like two centimeters before personal insolvency. So I, I know how the roller coaster goes up and down and up and down. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> had some successes, had some losses. Um, and um, also in that period uh, afterwards, in 2013, I uh, founded a company basically based on demand from all my corporate uh, contacts from my past, were asking me, um, we see, yeah, they were asking because they saw I've been doing startup stuff. They see I've been teaching more and more or less the Stanford curriculum behind the Lean Startup Movement, uh, the Lean Launchpad. I've been to Stanford, was sort of trained by Steve Blank, the, the founder of the Lean Startup Movement or the grandfather of the Lean Startup Movement, if you will. And they were asking like, can you help us apply this stuff to our innovation efforts because like we, we're not getting anywhere or we're not getting as fast as uh, we want to or we're not really having the results that we want <clears throat> and of course the first thing i thought was like hell no <laughs> I, don't <have> any, <laughs> I don't want not make you more powerful i don't want anything to do with you i know exactly how you operate i worked <laughs> with you for 15 years and then it's like uh, uh but we have money and since I was bankrupt, basically, I was like, oh, when can I start? Let's, let's, let's do this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's how my, my company that you mentioned, Plus Anderson and Associates, um, um, was founded, basically on demand and also by, by not uh, refusing taking money from the market, which is basically, a, it's been a good bet <laughs> so far. It, it enables me to be independent and, and do the other things. Uh, without having to to worry too much about getting paid for all the stuff I do for students and um, and startups, and also enabled me to put some money back into early stage startups and founders. <clears throat> so that was uh, yeah, that was a little bit about my background. Well, bit that's of, a yeah. bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, definitely ups and downs. It it had like an interesting life. Yeah, if it was all all only going up, like from my own experience, because it's my life is also going up and down and up and down. It's interesting and it it really makes you feel like you're living life. Sometimes oh, yes. you wouldn't want to live for some experiences, but <laughs> yeah, don't wish yours. it on my worst enemies. Yeah, yeah. Well, it 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 always looks best in retrospect. Mm -hmm. It's when you go through it and you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> And it makes for great stories. Sure. And yeah, yeah. It's like when you when you have like ten, stories. Ten, ten years removed, then it's all fun and games. But it can be quite painful for a while. <laughs> yes. So, okay. with which story would you like to start? Do you want to start with the leadership success story or the leadership failure story? Which one would you think would be like the best progression from one to the other? Well, I, th I think uh, maybe maybe. Um, with the biggest leadership success story that I, I've witnessed um, personally, uh, which correlates, okay. or that is to say, which is in the context of the worst or unfortunate, awesome. but Perfect. I've also seen because there were, there were two similar situations where leadership acted completely differently and the outcome was quite, um, yeah, well, diametrically Different opposite. Also. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And, and, so let's and, go to the um, success story. Right. Now, this is, I mean, I'm not talking about like Jeff Bezos or, or Steve Jobs, like epic proportions here. I'm just talking about the first experiences that I had with like business leadership, not speaking about like, uh, mental leadership or spiritual leadership or, or, or philosophical leadership. I'm just talking right now. I thought I would talk about business leadership and what yeah. really shaped, helped shape me and influenced me when I was starting out in business. Because before that, I'd just been studying and done some freelance consulting, basically, and really didn't know shit about business. <laughs> so let me take you back to, um, I think it was... I started at least in the beginning of 97 and um, 1997, like a <laughs> completely different century. Um, and then um, I was in this company, which gave me a great break. I just basically sent a blind, um, sent a blind, um, what do you call it? Applied for a job blindly. You know, there was nothing available, but uh, they were so convinced and they let me uh, have a break and I tried to make the best out of it. And this was a company when I started, there were like four or five people. And at, by this time, it, it was a couple of years in and um, we had about eight or nine people or something like that, if memory serves. And uh, we had, uh, of course, we had like customers that were governments. There were some of the largest oil and gas companies in the world, big, big energy providers, big publishers and so on and so forth. And then uh, something happened like what usually can happen. Um, 
in a small company's uh, early stage, whereas you have some projects or you have some contracts that just fall through and you've been sort of um, betting on these contracts to, to help sort of make the year and, and, help and, and make payroll. And then uh, um, suddenly there was a substantial amount of money um, lacking to, to make payroll where um, the um, where the owners and the, the leadership, or I think there were three founders, they basically said, we'll, we'll, take the, we'll take the cut, we will put all of our money, all of what we should have and all we will have sort of left to make sure that you get payroll. We're investing in our employees and our first employees and we're, we're gonna take this fall. We're, we're responsible for you. We've asked you to join and we're the ones who own the company and stand to gain. So basically what they did was um, be super transparent and say basically here's here's the deal we're we're taking the hit for you uh, and and um, because they we they they felt it was self evident that they were the people who were supposed to 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 bear it because they stand most to gain as stockholders yes, as, yeah. um, and um, so they did and everybody stayed because everybody thought that was a, a very brave and right thing to do and me being sort of new to business felt well. That's probably how it runs, right? This is this is how you do it. Right? <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> like then, first experience. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, that, that's leadership. Okay, they're, they're inspiring, and and I, I want to stick around, and uh, that's great. That was like the human thing to do. Um, and then uh, let's fast forward to I think it was two thousand and three. Um, okay. We're now past the first dot com boom. Um, as you remember, there was something. Uh, happening in 2000, 2001, everything just crashed, basically. Everything yes. fell apart. Um, and in the sort of rubble uh, um, of a lot of failed companies, uh, internet-based companies, um, there was a company, and uh, I'll not name anybody to sort of keep the guilty okay. <laughs> okay. out of it, uh, but um, there was a company that re resurrected by some of the former employees. And um, as luck or chance would have it, I also started to work with them. And uh, there was a similar situation. A substantial contract just fell through for reasons outside of sort of human uh, sort of uh -huh. agency. It just, uh, a large uh -huh. customer, we just went bankrupt and they couldn't pay. And what basically uh, they did was to... Um, but coerce or threatened basically every employee um, to take the same pay cut as them. No. Not really discounting that they had like an absorb exorbitant um, sort of insane, uh, uh, extremely high um, pay grade uh, because they were the founders. <laughs> it's like everybody is supposed to like just feel the pain exactly like them. And then I was like, Wait a minute. <laughs> this is not necessarily how I remembered this thing. Yeah, remembering like, the situation. Yeah. This is like, hmm, I've been here before, but what? <laughs> this, is, this is weird. And now it's like they're like trying to coerce me into taking this hit. Well, uh, oh, fuck no. <laughs> so basically, a long story short, I had to, I ended up suing them for not paying my wages. And of course, well, you can imagine how uh, well uh, a company like that would be doing uh, going on if they're like acting like <laughs> acting like that. So basically, that company folded or was sort of acquired in a sort of a save, face saving action later. But uh, I, I was out, <laughs> and I basically told told them to fuck themselves uh, by a lawyer, and I just moved on. So, what so, do you feel like it was like? the difference between the first uh, group of leaders and the second group of leaders that they took responsibility. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people who are conscientious of the context they were in. They had founded a company. They were asking people basically to stick around and they had hired people that they believed in. And they, they, they were willing to take a personal hit or sort of put their, their skin in the game, if you will. And uh, the other ones were not really, really willing to put their skin in the game. Hmm. And I'm going There's to like ask a, like a, mm -hmm. a follow-up question, and I really hope because I'm taking like a leap of faith. <laughs> like the guys that the initial guys that they paid, they took the cuts. They said like we're staying to gain the more, we, we also lose the more, uh, mm -hmm. and it's natural. 
Um, did you keep like in touch with them? Do you know them? Did did they succeed with their company or did they start other companies? They're, that they're still successful? very successful. They're the market leaders in what they do. Okay. Uh, very Europe, good. Europe uh, wide. And, and the, the other guys that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And <laughs> and did the leaders found like other successful companies or not? From the second company. And the people from the second company that folded, did they move on to other companies? Did they start new companies? Uh, did they change their ways? Some of, the, some of the people were super talented and went on to interesting other jobs, but I don't think there were they were founding material. I don't think there were like business leader material. So I, I so must no be honest. Also, I haven't I haven't really paid attention to what they've been doing after I basically <laughs> yeah. told them to fuck off. Though, uh, but what I've seen sporadically is that I mean, in in the in and by themselves, they were not bad people, but it's just that they were really bad business managers. Um, but um, and some of them were super talented at what they were doing. But um, I don't think they were business people, and I don't think that they were leaders. And I think the were, sort of at least the anecdotal more, stuff that I've seen that they they've been employees again at, at other companies. More followers than um, lead by example types. Okay. That, that, uh, and, and that leads like exactly to the to the next question like what is your leadership philosophy essentially what makes a business leader be successful well, mm -hmm. from I, I think one of the things that that really taught me or, or really put very present on my mind was skin in the game like you have to lead by example right so so if i tell if i wanted to do something or i want you to follow me into like really bad situations i need to lead by example and i need to to show that i i i trust you i invest in you i believe in you and if you don't put actions behind your words it's, it's meaningless and worth, worthless you have to put skin yes. in the game and also if you want people to work 100 percent, you need to probably work 200 percent yourself you have to yes. really be be the be the example that you want other people to be and also, I think what, what I, I also learned from the, the first job and also from other projects that I've been doing myself is that I have absolutely trust in the people I work with. I have absolute confidence in myself and my people that they can do what we set out to do. And I do not want to micromanage them. I want to enable them oh, to get there, right? So there's a, there's a huge difference in how you can achieve getting somewhere. And, and my philosophy and my um, approach is to have as great people as you can possibly get to work on the things that you're working on and then enable them to get where we need to go. So, of course, communication is also very key, but also have absolute, absolute faith and, and trust in those people that they will get there. Yes, and it's so important to have the trust part. It's not just say, it, oh, I trust you. Mm -hmm. They have, you cannot say it, but if you show them that you trust them, they can feel it, mm -hmm. then it's it's another dynamic in the whole company. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen managers, I said, I trust my team, and then they stand like behind their shoulders, what are you doing, what are you working? Mm -hmm. And that, that's not trusting them, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's micromanagement. With, mm -hmm. by saying you're trusting them mm -hmm. i mean also that way absolutely not and and also i think uh, i mean it's like also time-based i mean logging and shit like that i'm totally against it it's like oh, what here. the fuck if i'm if i'm trusting people to do what they're supposed to do on time and and with the quality that we're expecting why the fuck do i need to monitor uh, what i've been doing or not it's all just a bullshit lie anyway what it says in a timesheet it's like, why yes. timesheet you like idiot? It, I mean, this for in industry 1.0 for factory workers or for, for where, where you have a yeah. leadership strategy of like institutionally not trusting your people, which is like, it's, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that um, timesheets and something like this is mostly for either production or schedule based uh, jobs retail where mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. the client expects you to be open at uh, 8.1 uh, uh, at 8.1 you better be there or your employees mm -hmm. better be there but for people working in corporate that have to create develop strategy strategies basically mm -hmm. work with their minds 
you have to be pretty naive to think that at 5 p.m. once they clock off, their brain shuts off. No, he's thinking about tomorrow's problems in his own free time. When he's taking the shower in the morning, he's thinking about his day. That's work, mm -hmm. and you're not paying for that. So yeah, if it's you a little late, more value. Yeah, you get more value if you show little trust. But my question for you was, mm -hmm. um, what do you recommend, or what do you do to help your key people earn your trust because mm -hmm. it's not enough to just give trust blindly because mm -hmm. well you know some mm -hmm. people will just take advantage of it people need to feel mm -hmm. like they earned your trust how do you do mm -hmm. that well first I, I try to to lead by examples in those cases where i when i want something out of other people i try to do the double of it myself just okay. to show that i i'm not just expecting you to do things i'm there and also knowing that i'm there and also uh, communication, For, at least in my experience, communication is like 99% of, of all the things that a, a leader should do. Uh, it's like maybe 1% course correction, uh, where, it's hmm. like, where it's like incentives or, or, or like either the whip or the carrot or you need to do something. Mm -hmm. But I mean, 99% is communication and just getting the fuck out of the way of, of competent people being able to do what we're supposed to be doing. So one of the things, I mean, it's, it's super, uh, it's super important um, to, 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 um, to, I mean, I guess to earn the, the, the trust is to enable people to um, arrive at the goal in their own way, right? To figure out how to best do their own things. And then also to know that you have their back, right? Because if it's like, if there's any externalities or internal oppositions or, or detractors or, um, um, distractions that you're there oh, yes. to keep the road clean to keep their back I mean at, at least in my philosophy when I was a, as a manager and then we had like 50 people was like try to keep them as satisfied as happy as possible doing the things their way to achieve the goals that we are like 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 we we as a group has been have been defining but how we get there with us at, at, at basically to put it another way my my job is more like would be like making sure that they're 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 happy that that basically they have coffee on the table uh, <laughs> to put it like bluntly um like helping like out just to, to make them work at as efficiently and as 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 well as possible and not being distracted by by bullshit. So one of the I things like that was ah, one of the things what's super important for me when we were working a lot about uh, like with let's say uh, large uh, contracts and large projects is that keep the customer away from uh, from the developers, for instance. Yes. Like oh yeah. Not being distracted by bullshit feature changes or direct communications with someone who just have no idea what they're talking about. So it's like me, I'm, I'm, I'm the shit filter, basically, as a leader. I'm, I'm, supposed to also, I'm also supposed to take the shit, right? So it's like I, you also have to be very uh, conscientious about communicating price uh, and, and, and uh, what do you call it, um, um, uh, appraisal and, and, and um, um, being well at positive feedback, also when it comes from other people or for yourself, and also shielding them necessarily from, from all the bullshit that they doesn't necessarily have any direct influence on. That was my job as a leader to protect them and insulate them from from bullshit. Do your did your people know about this? Um, All the protecting you did. I think some of them did, but but it's like to me that's not important. I have my inter internal compass. I think that's also something. Well, don't know if it's directly related to what we're talking about now, but at least on a on a personal level, I think that's super important to have. It's like an internal guided compass instead of an external guided compass. Oh, I couldn't give a shit yes. about uh, if people knew it or not. I, I just uh, I needed to, to know that Move I did forward. it. Yeah. So I, I'm motivated by my, my, my inner compass that may or may never be seen, which, which is secondary. And sometimes it doesn't have to be seen. You just need to do it. Not trying yes. to get praise, what you call it, you know, get sort of lauded for yes. something that you did <laughs> instead of the results. 
Yeah, and, and that's something that we're trying, like, and we're hearing more and more from the people that we're interviewing, like, as a leader, you are the facilitator. You're, you're like the grease on the mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, you're not really essential, but you make everything more smooth and work together better have, than if you mm -hmm. weren't there. Have you ever been to a theater play? Sure, sure. Okay, you know they change a lot of uh, things on set. It's not the actors that manage that, but the audience, the clients never see it. Okay, the mm -hmm. actors don't pay attention to it because they're in the role. Mm -hmm. I think that's basically the, the job of the leader to facilitate, make a smooth behind transition the behind the scenes from mm -hmm. point A, beginning to the final act. Absolutely, I, I, that's, that's very much in line with, uh, I, ha I have two analogies. One is like you, you're, you're somewhere between a producer and a director of a movie. And sometimes you're more the producer, sometimes you're more the, the director, but I guess my, my philosophy is trying to be more the producer, the less directing necessary, the better. Um, and then um, the other analogy I have is like the, the, you have a rock band and they need a manager. And the manager is like the, the, the guy who's like always there to make sure that everybody is staying healthy and are able to go on tour and basically that they get paid and they're happy. Okay. So it's like the, the band manager. So you make sure that the, the money comes in and everybody's protected and you can do their job for one, for, for the thing you got the money yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah basically so making it, sure that they can do what they, what, what they want to do. What exactly. Makes them happy. So with that in mind, what would be the top three leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Uh, over communication. Um, there, there's a lot of toxic culture when it comes to communication and a lot of, I, I don't know, bad examples. Um, maybe it's because of school. Maybe it's because of how business studies are, I don't know. Uh, conducted. I have no idea. I have no background in business uh, formerly from a university or anything. Um, what I have found out, which I'm super fascinated about, is how um, other uh, more like non-business um, organizations are dealing with communications, especially the Navy SEALs. Um, okay. Because, yeah, uh, I, I was um, doing some research back in, I think, 2010 on, on decision-making. And I stumbled on a book uh, which was quite influential on me. Uh, it says a behavioral psychologist, behavioral economist, um, which, um, I mean, if you've heard about Daniel Kahneman, uh, there's Daniel Kahneman thinking fast, thinking slow. It's like a super oh, duper. Yes, Tversky and Kahneman did a lot of interesting <laughs> research on, on the human biases and, and stuff like that. And then there's this other guy, which name escapes me right now, but he uh, all, and Kahneman also have very interesting discussions because they have fundamentally different views on, on how, uh, how this works. And um, the thing that came up in the book uh, that really influenced me and which I have used since is something that's called the commander's intent. That the problem with uh, what the Navy SEALs were doing uh, earlier was that people were dying because things dynamically changed on the ground and they were still trying to linearly sort of, in a linear fashion, trying to execute a plan that was already obsolete by the time they hit the ground. Yes. So um, basically, we also know this as agile and, and waterfall versus waterfall and stuff like that. It but, also happens uh, in business every day. Exactly. But uh, what they did um, was basically to put a framework in that enabled the commander and the people who were supposed to ex execute the intent of the commander uh, with, a, with a fixed briefing or a format for the briefing. Whereas it is um, the commander uh, will, will express quite formally the intent of the mission. And it's like, here's the success outcome prioritized you want this and this and this to happen but furthermore it was super important and it's still super important to tell you what i mean tell the people who are supposed to do it what we do not want to happen undesirable outcomes right yes. and then it's 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 a briefing where you say this is the key objectives in these priority with these priorities so there's like number one you can you can if you can manage and then here are the things that we definitely do, do not want to happen and cannot happen, like civilian casualties or whatever it is in this context, right? 
and then and 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 then uh, or or any casualties on our side or whatever whatever but then the people are enabled to think of the best strategies before they set out and also when they've set out and those plans like fall apart because they often do when you when you're in a dynamic situation uh, they're enabled to start thinking about how to achieve the objectives and avoid the negative outcomes that are not supposed to be happening instead of having yes. a linear plan and also there's a principal discussion um, before um, they set out so there's a briefing and then there's questions right and then you take um, then you take dissent and then you take questions and then you uh, basically uh, revise if, if necessary and then they have a plan and then you set out and basically how you achieve that plan is up to the people on the ground yeah is this the framework you use and what you're doing uh, when I'm working with other people yes when I want uh, someone uh, to do something <laughs> what I, I usually do I formulate it as a uh, commander's intent where it says uh, what why I've been thinking this way what it is that we need to achieve and then what we're not supposed to be achieving what is not important what we could just ignore what we do not want to have happen um quick question do you find that this gives uh, your people the chance to uh, come up or surprise you with even better solutions for the absolutely for the absolutely Absolutely. Sometimes I, I mean, um, sometimes there are things happening that I would never think of because I, I didn't have to think about them. I mean, they, there were people who are just, I mean, basically, I, I don't even have to think about uh, or know uh, all the stuff that the people could do because they will have a completely clear framework of what it is that we need to achieve. And they can achieve it exactly how they want to, right? So it's been more than once that I've been quite surprised on on how they, what they did to achieve the result. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly like the so one benefit is that, that the people are empowered to go out and solve the problems, however it evolves. Mm -hmm. And but the major benefit I see for for the leader itself is like you have you freed your mental resources. You don't have to think for them and try to come up. For solution and have your people feel like they're your puppets just you say like this is how you do it step by step and you go mm -hmm. and just do that if you if you stray from the plan it's going to be bad, <laughs> bad mm -hmm. for you no mm. it's it's so hard to think like for everybody in your company and the more the company grows the more things you have to do if you're mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. kind of a leader I, I think i think also it's not your job as a leader to think for the people yes. i mean if you're thinking for the people you need to fire some people because they're not doing their job. I mean, they should be paid to be thinking. Or maybe you should yes. fire the leader because you're, you're doing something very inefficiently. Yeah. And uh, regarding the, um, the Navy SEALs training. Um, mm -hmm. Or at, at the format. It took some time for this to happen because the first uh, first historical figure that I know of that uh, touched on this problem was Napoleon who said, um, if I'm not mistaken, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, mm -hmm. which is why like everybody has is... a plan before you get punched in the face, like Mike Tyson said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, more nicely put. And uh, he was credited with, uh, with creating the first modern army because he noticed, well, so my soldiers need to have clusters of collaborators moving independently which means their own supplies uh, an intent and be able to follow through any way possible or any way they see fit to get the end goal and he was mm -hmm. very successful for it uh, a bit on the downside the pessimistic side the napoleonic wars were well they're pushing on 200 years now so it's amazing that to this day uh, his idea is still not fully uh, implemented <laughs> but it also gives much like he had the chance to conquer a lot and do a lot just because you do the right thing while your competition is still mm -hmm. moving linearly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And without, so the first step is communication. Communication, communication, over communicating. I mean, especially so, if you're starting so all out. All three tips are communicate, communicate, communicate. 
Yeah, and, and also structured, I mean, in a format. It doesn't have to be commander's intent if, if you think that there's something else that fits better for your needs. But I, I start with something like a commander's intent and just have a look at it if you're not uh, sort of familiar with it. it. It Especially if you're doing something completely new where, where probably things are going to change when people start working on it. Um, like you're starting with a startup, for instance. Um, like every every week, every day can be something new uh, turning up that, that fundamentally changes everything. So it's it's a format that enables for that. And also I think, um, I think what, what is super important is to have, as it's like, maybe this is like a second thing is to have like a principled discussions, like strong opinions, but weekly held, um, that, that you have a culture that, that where you challenge everything and it's open to challenge everything and, and nothing is taken for granted. Whereas everything is our assumptions and, um, you have to be better, be able to back it up with data. And so if you have an assumption, you, you should be able to also formulate a test for this assumption. You should be able to somehow come back with data to see if this assumption is correct or not. So prove and it. also if you want, if you have an opinion on something, then, then, then prove it. Mm. But also if you think that what I'm doing or how I'm doing it or what we're doing is wrong, then you need to speak up. Mm. I mean, because also if, this is a... If mm -hmm. not, you're going to have a cult and not a culture yeah. inside your company. Exactly. And, and uh, I, let me tell you, um, most companies out there, when they reach a certain size, they're just like indistinguishable from cults. It's, it's crazy. Yes. Um, well, so, so you hear it about like large companies. And people yeah. are proud of it too. Yes. Well, you know, religion makes you... Interesting. That could be a whole separate podcast. I, I won't even touch it with a 10 yes. football. Exactly. Right. So, so I guess my, my number two thing would be like, um, be able to take dissent, be able to have a culture. I mean, you should have a culture where you, you're able to challenge everything, including the boss and the leadership on a regular basis. Um, also, maybe you should formalize it, whereas you have feedback sessions and there's like a, 360 feedback thing going on as often as possible. That is to say also when you're doing, let's say you're doing software work or something like that, you should have an iteration process that is at least, or, or at least as short as one week before you have like feedback cycles again. If, you, if you're taking yes. more than one week, you're probably doing something terribly wrong. And uh, <laughs> the, the longer it, the iteration cycles are going, the more, more damage you're going to be doing and more impossible it's going to be to fix. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, and, and also and when I say, mm -hmm. go ahead. Oh, oh, you go because I want to get your information. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so, so also I think um, a lot of the time uh, where this goes wrong, also with principal discussion or, or having like a culture where you can question and challenge everything is that some people like don't know what to do. Right. Uh, and so if there's dissent, uh, you still need to commit to something, right? Some of the times yes. it leads to in, in, inaction or, or uncertainty. But I mean, I think that's also some of, the, some of the important skills and important job descriptions of the leader is to say, well, I hear you, I see you, but we're still going to do this and this and that. I mean, someone needs to, to make a decision in phase of dissent as well. I mean, yeah. if, if there's a lot of people who say, we're not going to do this, but you believe in it as a leader, it's also your job to say, well, I hear you. You got to do this. Exactly. You need, to, you need to move on. I mean, speed is normally, especially in a startup setting, is speed is of the essence. Yeah. If you start and getting sort of bogged down by indecision. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you as a leader, you don't get, you don't get questions, you don't get any opposition, it means either that everyone in the company doesn't care about the company, what's happening there, they're just there because they get some money out of it and they, mm -hmm. uh, they're apathetic about it, mm -hmm. or um, you're not doing your job to push it and drive the company forward. It's, mm -hmm. uh, you're not doing somebody isn't doing his job correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that is a perfect segue to to the to what would be my third, not necessarily ranked because it's also super important, but the third advice I, I would give, um, or in my own experience, also one of the most important, is that you have to be super duper careful about who you're hiring, because you become who you hire. 
And also speaking from my experience with, with companies who are not able to do innovation, for instance, themselves, largely it's because of their HR process, right? They've been selecting for people who are not yes. necessarily innovative for years. And also if you have people that you just still always need to tell what to do, or they're doing things in a way that isn't the culture or isn't in the way that you're supposed to or underperforming. I mean, it's your fault. <laughs> you hire yes. them and, and you let them stay on for too long. That is really unfair also towards the people who are not really fit for the job that you're seeking to just drag them along. Right? So, so one of the things that I learned the hard way is that you have to hire super duper slowly and fire and get people the hell out of there as soon as you understand that it's not a fit. Because it's unfair for the people who are already working there that you will drag someone along that will drag them down. And it's unfair for the person who gets dragged into it who is not really a fit for either the culture or the task at hand. So mm -hmm. it's like it's like a lot of people I've seen, a lot of leaders I've seen, they have the mentality of we just need to stop some gaps here. And then that, that's like super, to me, that's like a really red flag of bad leadership because that means that they don't give a fuck about the people who has to live on both sides of the consequences of that bad hire. They're more interested in just having like middle management shut up about the def deficits. So yes. what I have, what I have like the hard, the hard way I learned is that if there's a shortage of manpower and you need people, there's an amazing amount of work you can get done without hiring if you just put people through 200% for a while, including yourself. Um, and of course, I'm not advocating doing that um, on, on, a, on a regular basis because then you're gonna burn out people mm -hmm. and that's unfair on the people as well. But I mean, there are periods where you will definitely be better off not hiring B, C, D, E, F candidates and just um, basically make do with what you have for, for a period of time, just making the most out of resources. And also having people get the hell out of there as fast as possible if they're not a fit, it's, it's super important because it's, it's toxic to have someone who's just pulling everybody down or, or having someone who's, I mean, I mean, just thinking about the human aspect of the people who get dragged into a situation where they didn't know that their, the work situation would be like that. And because you hire them well knowing that they would probably not be a fit. So yeah. unfair for the team, unfair for the people you hired. And uh, the net consequence is that you're going to have subpar work, which is, not what you want to hire people for. But don't hire uh, if you don't have to and think twice because you could probably leverage your resources. Maybe you have to say no to some stuff. Maybe you have to go slower, but you do not want to be left with a, with a bad hire. Yes, and it's something that you as a leader have to manage because you don't, have to, you don't want to go overboard in either direction. You have to keep around the sweet spot of all those choices and situations. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's also something that, especially like for big companies, because they have this pool of cash that they can access anytime, it actually stops them from being able to innovate because they, they can stop whatever constraints is, is stopping them. Uh, mm -hmm. They alleviate it really fast with some money instead of staying in the constraints and forcing them to come up with something new, a new way of doing the work, a new way of achieving the result. Uh, because hey, they have the easy way out, the easy, yeah. <laughs> easy part. Mm. So is that something that you find out that's uh, actually being, having constraints help you innovate faster and be more creative? Let, let me take an example here, uh, which, I mean, obviously, yes, <laughs> this, this is a no-brainer, absolutely. The, the more constraints, the more um, creative you get, definitely. Um, I have no doubt about it. There's so many examples in the world. I'll, t I'll talk about one example um, right now, which is um, very small and very insignificant, but like just puts it on the spot or, or like it is an example of how, how urgency actually drives um, okay. uh, actions. So um, let me take you back to, I think it was 2013. Um, I had just quit and stopped uh, and folded the Gauss, the People Magnet app. Okay. Uh, it was going nowhere fast and we had disagreements in the founding team and it was just, it was just 
overdue because also I had debt and I had credit cards outstanding and taxes pending and God knows what. And I was like, okay, now let's just kill it before it kills me. And then uh, um, at the same time where like all the bills were coming in and, and I was like getting more and more uh, concerned about how to pay for anything and everything uh, and sort of, I had been starting, I mean, the company that is now Plus Enders and, and Associates, it was sort of in the beginning and I had sort of an, if you will, a, a debt uh, a plan there, which would probably help at least with some projects to fill the debt. But uh, the, there was a lag in that. And then also suddenly there, um, um, there, I, uh, there was a, an email where I got invited to Stanford by, by Steve Blank to receive the training as a sort of a lean startup uh, educator, if you will, lean launchpad educator. And then um, at the same day, I got a letter in the mail and it said, there's a warrant for your arrest for outstanding social security and social insurance, which is illegal oh not God. to pay in, in Germany. Uh, and I hadn't been able to because there was no money and a lot of debt um, because I've been self-financing. And then it was like, okay, we have a warrant for my arrest. I need in two weeks, to go to uh, the US, that is to say, hmm, how am I gonna afford a ticket and how am I gonna stay? So yeah. basically what I did uh, was to launch a crowdfunding uh, for the whole thing. And it was like within 24 hours, everything cool. was paid for. <laughs> but I was nice, like, without, nice. without that thing, and I was like, this was a very small thing in the, in, the, in the history of the universe. But I mean, it's like, if that hadn't happened, I would never have, had to do that thing, which was super uncomfortable. It's basically asking other people for money or come up with an idea how to raise the money in 24 hours. Uh, that would be like not possible at all. I think I have a picture even uh, uh, of my hand with, with the small change that was all the money I had left in the whole world at that point. <laughs> all the money had in the world fitted in. <laughs> All my active, uh, all the all liquid assets in one hand, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think it was under, sense. was less than 10 euros. Yeah. Well, see, it's funny now, but it was yeah, funny. funny going through it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can, I can laugh without crying now. <laughs> now, yes, but you know, it's it's one thing looking back, and it's a totally different thing where in in the moment living it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It it it. So it's it's also. I mean, it could have gone the other way, right? It could, it could have ended really yes. badly. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's 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 where the founder kind of gets defined in you. I mean, either you have it in you or you don't. So it's, it's, it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating, I'm, to make it clear, I'm not advocating, uh, advocating having unfortunate constraints because yeah. that there's no, no given that there's going to be a positive outcome. But I think it's, 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 it's quite defining if the, if the founding creative side of you comes out or if it doesn't. So you don't have the idea is <laughs> don't put yourself in a situation like Give all your money everything because yeah, that's like for fuck's it. sake, don't do anything stupid. Don't don't do anything <laughs> don't stupid. Don't be as stupid as like, me. Like create like circumstances that force you to do it, but if it doesn't work, you still have resources to fall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't be like that but, Russian author. Yeah. I always forget his name. <laughs> yes. Uh, but but sometimes you just need like, to uh, throw yourself out on deep waters and see if you can swim. Yeah. Maybe so maybe bring a life preserver, yeah. but uh, <laughs> you need to see if you can swim. So I don't know if Dostoevsky or if the story is true, but what I've heard is for him to be able to write a new novel, he would take all the money from the previous novel, he would part it, spend it all until he was all, almost living like on, on the streets to be able to write another novel. Because if he had the money, the comfort, he wouldn't be able to sit down and write anything and create. He didn't have the desperation here. Don't be like that. Like no. you created like good works, uh, works of art, no. but I don't think it's a good strategy for a good life. Definitely not a good strategy. <laughs> it's no, no, no. It's like that's 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 also what I tell founders, early stage founder, first time founders that are just starting out their own startups. It's like you're not Steve Jobs. Just stop it already with all the sort of well, Steve Jobs did that, Steve Jobs did that. There was only one Steve Jobs, and you're not it. 
So it's like, <laughs> we're not this Dostoevsky. Whatever worked for him worked for him, but um, there's like zero guarantee. And probably, I mean, the probability that is going to not work for you is probably six sigma high. Yeah, exactly. And besides, you would need um, to be like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or everybody else. You need yeah, two which we're not. important things, two very important things to be able, you would need a new field, a new domain, like the internet was in the 90s, which doesn't come about every day. It mm -hmm. was computers for them and it was the internet for you, for example. Mm -hmm. And you also, you need very well, uh, well, well connected parents that can take a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old wet behind the years and introduce to IBM and uh, the US government and big you companies have, uh, you Warren can work Buffett with this person to dinner yeah yeah yes. yeah stuff like that stuff so, like that yeah. which isn't also, like mentioned in most books exactly. never mentioned and in I, the books and i tell you what what is also not mentioned uh, which also leads me to some of the most ins helpful insights uh, about the world okay. um, ever but one of the things that i never mentioned is luck you know, the oh, only yeah. Steve Jobses that existed. Um, I can tell you, for instance, Jay Miner uh, and other people who made much better computers, like the Amiga, they're, they're forgotten. But they yeah. made so much better stuff. It's just that someone, someone survived, someone did something. Yeah. And maybe the sun and the moon and the correlations of the star signs, God knows what. But what we really underestimate is luck. And we call it survivorship bias, right? We're just discussing the people who survived and were successful. And for each of them who were successful, I mean, look at Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. I, I think there was at least five to eight other Facebooks before Facebook. And five, five, MySpace, and four others. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Friendster, for instance, six, um, six degrees. Um, well, you know, it's survivorship bias. It's also, what, we, what do we learn by the people who were successful? We learn that they were successful because we yes, have no yeah. control <laughs> experiments. So it's yeah. like the scientific correct thing to say is that what we can deduct from their success is that they were successful. Yeah. That's it, period. Because we have no control group and we're not running an experiment. And, I, and what I like is like, I don't know from who said this or what the quote that I like the most is like, it's the winner's prerogative to write history. Yeah. So when exactly. you win, this this comes like from world history, like when you win a war, you get to mm -hmm. write the narrative of what happened and how it happened mm -hmm. because you're the winner. So mm -hmm. and it happens in business also. Business winners they get to choose what story they tell and how it happened, and some of the nasty and gritty stuff gets left out because it's not pretty. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Um, one question I really wanted to, to ask you since uh, you've worked with very big companies and managed people, what is your, what do you think about transparency in, uh, in salaries? Mm -hmm. As you know, in, in uh, the US and even, even in Romania, for example, mm -hmm, companies, mm -hmm. they, they mystify everything and say, you have to keep mm -hmm. your salary secret and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And yeah, it's, it's the same in, it's the same in, um, in, uh, in Germany. It's a very big no-no to ask your colleagues about how much they're owning, uh, earning. Uh, I do believe in, tra in transparency. Uh, I do believe that there's no reason other than evil. Um, I, mean, I mean, reason by, let me step that up a, a, a step or two, I'll step back, um, let me retract. Um, what I would say is that information asymmetry is usually used for evil in this context. It is to control mm. people and to get as little money to someone as possible, which is bullshit and yes. bad leadership, in my opinion. I mean, fair, I mean, a fair price in the market also, to, to that said, is what you can get, right? I'm not a socialist yeah. by, by any stretch. I don't believe that everybody should have the same. I, I think that that's, that's ridiculous. But um, I do think that transparency helps fairness. And if you're fair and if yes. you're like, if, if you want to have a also by today's standard, have a competitive advantage, why not be transparent? Why not be transparent about uh, anything and everything, right? Yeah. And then also people can see like, I want that salary. That person mm -hmm. has that salary. They're doing this stuff. 
If I mm-hmm. do that stuff, I'm also going to get the same salary. I mean, yeah. it motivates people. It motivates people mm-hmm. to strive for more, or maybe they uh, want less. Or and also, what I think a lot of people are not talking about is the the effect. Or let me let me retract or go back on that. Um, what I meant is that you should also be a bit worried about having employees that are just interested in the salary. My uh, experience, in my experience, it's, it's the people who are also more in on the vision and the task at hand that are the people that you consider working with. Because, I mean, people who could just, I mean, looking at salaries, I mean, let, let the competition have them and bleed dry. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather yeah. have someone who's much more dedicated and also is, is ready to take a sort of a, 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 a dip or a cut um, in what the market actually would pay them. Yeah. This is also why yeah, people start working for startups what when they can. What they're doing. Well, yeah, that means people... you as a leader have to create a vision that is compelling, that you're doing something that's mm-hmm. bigger than just making money. Because that, if that's you have a company we... and the goal is to make money, people are there to make money also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we could be talking about vision for the whole day long. I mean, I think exactly. one of the reasons why a lot of companies are so lost is because there's no vision anymore. And also short term goals, right? The combination of no vision and short-term goals um, and like public stock markets is like a disaster. Uh, but, know, um, that's a discussion for a whole book. Moving forward, like um, based, on, I, I guess that you read a lot. And since you also lectured at uh, universities, I guess you read a lot also. <laughs> so that, well, I think that what the, is... the only reason the only reason why I read a lot is because I'm paranoid. I'm paranoid <laughs> that I will stand still or lose out on something or not God. develop. I'm super duper afraid of like like being ossified or like just sort of like rotting from inside intellectually. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar. Very so familiar. what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Um, there's several. There's several. I mean, I, when I was a kid, um, maybe too early, my teacher in, in like first grade gave me the book Watership Down, which is like super mm-hmm. dramatic and probably not something like a six or seven year old should be left alone with. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess she thought that I was able to handle it. I was. I had a profound effect because it's 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 uh, it's about animals, but it's it's like about the realities of the world. Uh, so it's quite dramatic and it's sad and. So on and so forth. I mean, it's like it, it, it shape, helped shape me in a very early age, and more like a, I guess also opened my eyes to to a little bit of things that are you you should po- you're supposed to sort of think about later in life, and not when you're <laughs> six or seven. Um, and then later in life, the most I mean, the most influential books on me was uh, one was the one we talked about, which I for the living days, like I mean, for the I mean, I cannot remember what the uh, Thinking slow and fast, the, or yeah, that that one, that one as well. But the one I read before that one was uh, is it called Gary Klein? I think it's called Gary Klein. Oh, let me let me let me see if I can find it. But let's talk about the other one now, um, which uh, I mentioned, which is um, Daniel Kahneman and and Traversky. Unfortunately, Traversky died um, before um, they really. Uh, had the success that we know now and also I think uh, he's the only uh, Kahneman is the only psychologist who got the Nobel Prize for economics um, but what basically they did was to um, to identify and isolate all the cognitive biases that we have as human beings uh, or at least a uh, hundred plus of them uh, which helped me being much, much more conscientious about what's going on in my mind versus my actions versus, versus my opinions and guiding decisions. So um, the one that uh, I had bef- um, in mind before that is uh, by Gary Klein and it's called Sources of Power, How People Make Decisions. Okay. This is the one that uh, uh, turned me on to the commander's intent. That one is older. It's from 1999. And it was relatively obscure at the time, but it's also reached a wider audience because Kahneman and Klein have very different opinions on things, but they are very happy to discuss it, uh, discuss in a very constructive manner. Mature so it's a sort of in a mature <laughs> way. 
and and also like in a scientific way. So it's like every time I see that they have a discussion somewhere, it's something I would really like like to watch or read because um, they're they're moving this this field of decision making collectively to a different place, which is amazing. They understand the distinction between. I don't like your ideas, which doesn't mean I don't like you. Mm-hmm. It's a very clear distinction that got lost. And at, at least it feels like it got lost in present day society. Mm-hmm. You don't have yeah, to I like also, what I think to, to like me. Exactly. I think that some, some, somewhere we need to, somewhere along the way, we need to find back or get back to that, uh, where, we, where we can have principled discussion without going ad hominem. Because I think, but that's also a digression we could talk about for for a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that uh, the so discussions really have been, quickly, been like completely ad hominem uh, by now? Yes. Uh, so Vidal, really quickly, like what would be the major cognitive bias that you see stopping leaders from being good leaders? Uh, uh, but, but one of the cognitive biases where not necessarily a bias, but it's ego. Ego, so yes. it's basically, um, a, 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 I don't know, a, a, a misunderstanding of what it means to be in power, misunderstanding or maybe insecurity. Maybe maybe it's like male insecurity. I don't know, uh, but maybe it, 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 it at least it seems that a lot of people have a very strange idea that doesn't jive with my experience of what it means to be a leader or have power, whereas they're like uh, having a I mean, like kin- kingdom building or like information asymmetry or micromanaging. I mean, all the things that are more towards manipulating people instead of enabling people to, to pull yes. and, and do their best possible work. So I think uh, one, of, one of the reasons there is that maybe it's ego. I, I, I just, I, I think, I, I just, I think it's my, I would say the high, my hypothesis is it's a lot about I've... ego or how to define themselves in a leadership position that this is how leadership is supposed to be uh, one thing i say a lot is like leaders are not the people you see in movies portrayed as leaders it has, nothing, it has nothing to do with leadership there and the, we pitch interview like people that worked with true leaders and are leaders and say no movies are movies realities and you're actually a servant the the mm-hmm. higher up you move the more of a servant you become. Yeah, servant leadership. And I, I, <laughs> Absolutely. I, to, the more coffees to, you're serving. That's exactly yeah, why, yeah, I, to, why I got I got the idea, but it really cemented that idea that uh, popular media and stuff like this misshapes and misconstrues our ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an interview with uh, Steve Jobs, again, about him. He got really powerful, popular. I think it was 60 minutes. It doesn't matter. The problem was that it was a very powerful interview amongst C-suit executives because in the interview he said, I take no prisoners, I don't take no, I tell people how I want it and this is how I run my company. And it ruined a lot of businesses in the following five years because a lot of people looked at Apple and said, I want that. And if that's how he does it, that's how I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they changed overnight, literally changed overnight. Mm-hmm. And, and I ruined their business. Yeah, and I had people on this uh, podcast interview that said we mm-hmm. went through that. It was mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can imagine. <laughs> I think also that ties back to to what we talked about and what we should probably not open the whoop can of worms uh, right now about how it turns into religion. Right? You could also argue yeah. that a lot of religions around the world have forgotten the message and are worshiping only the creeds and the and the sort of the rituals. Right. So basically, it's like forgetting the message or the, the, the things that went into Apple and making it successful and just <laughs> just uh, looking at those superficial sort of uh, rituals, which is also Forms why without I hate, substance. It's also I hate I hate Agile with a great big with the with a capital A and and Scrum, but that's a discussion <laughs> for another day because this is also <laughs> just <laughs> rituals and, and the, the best way of doing the wrong things the fastest way, uh, but <laughs> exactly. I just and wanted to drop people, the bomb. Yes, yeah. and if people um, want to find out more about you and what you're doing, because it's awesome. Uh, lesson, I, I just remember on? now. There are two books that you you guys need to read. Everybody who's listening, uh, which I forgot, okay. and that would be a disrespect to the author, which is uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Um, especially the two first books that I uh, read was uh, The Black Swan and Fooled by 
fooled by randomness. I also sort of uh, opened my horizons. Of course, anti-fragile is an ode to entrepreneurship, if you will. So check out NN Telab if you haven't. He's also very yes. prolific on Twitter. It's very interesting. Very interesting uh, person. Probably one of the biggest, I mean, I would postulate he's one of the biggest interesting thinkers uh, currently alive. But um, so, yeah, the, the question was, how can you reach me? Um, I'll yes. find out more about me. You can go to, for instance, vidaranderson.com. That's uh, Vidar with a V, uh, vidaranderson.com, or just Google me. I also have open office hours for free for entrepreneurs and students. So every week you can also book time with me with no strings attached. So we can talk about your business ideas or the problems you're having in your business. Awesome. Uh, so we'll put in the show notes the address for the website and the link for the books. Yes, the link the links cool. for the books. And also, I highly recommend people to reach out to you. Uh, do you also do like Zoom calls or something like that? If more interesting. Absolutely, uh, especially now with the pandemic, it's only by yes. Zoom. Perfect. So perfect. It doesn't, so doesn't matter where you Vidar, are. In the especially, world. yeah, reach out to Vidar if, if you you're a budding entrepreneur. Yes. Uh, hey, if you're listening to this, you have the internet. internet. <laughs> so you can reach out to Vidar and get in well, contact maybe, with Maybe somewhere, somewhere they're bootlegging it on cassette tape. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. That would be <laughs> actually be awesome. really cool. I would buy the internet for that person. <laughs> Sponsor him. Thank you so much, Vidar, for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for your time and also to you guys listening. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Bye. 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 That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.